Bible, please turn uh, your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We loved him because he first loved us. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I apologize for the quality of my voice. I was in Georgia last week, and I didn't think I left anything behind, but I think I did now. Left my voice. But it is good to be with you, and I will do my best to get through this lesson. I appreciate Billy leading our thoughts in class this morning. I told him I didn't think I could do both. Uh, tonight, Jared is preaching, and so I want to encourage you to come. He's going to be preaching on Numbers chapter 21, and I know it's going to be a great lesson. I've glanced at the outline. I know he put a lot of time into the lesson, and so I know that you're going to want to be here for that lesson tonight. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, the passage that Nick read a moment ago. We appreciate Nick reading our scripture today, and Nick is one of our fine young men. we got a lot of good kids here, and we're very grateful that he was willing to read our scripture this morning. John said, we love him because he first loved us. I don't have to tell you how great it is to be a Christian, because... Those of us who belong to the family of God, we have bought in and we believe that it is a tremendous privilege to be a child of God. And you think about all the great blessings that we have and all the things that we enjoy on a daily basis. I can't help but think about the psalmist when he said many, many years ago, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings in Psalm 68, 19. And so... As a Christian, we have so much to be grateful for, and we've been blessed in so many, many ways. And I would imagine that one of the things that prompted us to become a Christian was the great love of God. And you can't read in Scripture very long before you realize that God truly loves us. And God genuinely loves each and every person. And so we think about the love of God, but I guess maybe the question that we ought to ask is this. How much do we love God? We know He loves us, but do we love Him as much as He loves us? I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the revelation of God's love. There are a lot of different attributes that help us to understand the nature or maybe the character of God. There are many passages of Scripture that afford us insight into the divine nature of God. I think about traits like compassion, mercy, the fact that God is long-suffering toward us. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, John said, Speaking of God, God is love. And so when you begin to look at all the qualities or characteristics that describe the nature of God, one is obviously love. And so we talk about this great attribute. But then I want you to think with me for a moment about His affection. And there are a couple of things that I would share with you along these lines. First, the greatness of his love. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, and Paul wrote this 
letter in about A.D. 61 or 62 from a Roman prison. And Paul said, But God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith He has loved us. God's love toward those of us who belong to the human family is described as great. The greatness of His love. And I would imagine that you could look out and begin to identify individuals who demonstrate love in many, many ways. The love of God, however, unparalleled. Nothing like it. And so I think about the greatness of His love, but not just the greatness of His love, but the gift of His love. Now John said we love Him because He first loved us. God was motivated to do something for us, and that is to redeem us. You remember back in Genesis chapter 2, God had said to the first couple, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you, you'll surely die. Chapter 3 tells us that they ate from that forbidden tree. As a result of that, sin and death made its entrance into the world. And so in Genesis 3.15, God began unveiling the promised seed, that is, our Redeemer. And behind that promised seed, the love of God, the fact that God loved us enough, He loved those of us who are His creation, to send His Son to die for our sins. And there are a lot of verses that appeal to the love of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commendeth His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we talk about the love of God, and we can look at the greatness of His love, the fact that God devised a redemptive plan to save us, but then, not just the greatness of His love, but the gift of His love. In Romans chapter 8, Paul said that God spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all, lending insight into the fact that God willingly gave His very best. For whom? For us. Now, in light of that, I want to call attention to the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter 27. I want you to see something. We talk about the love of God. The love of God, the love of Christ, and the fact that John said we love Him because He first loved us. One of the ways I think that, I guess, prompts us to love God is to go back to the cross. When you stand at the foot of the cross, you can't help but realize, number one, His great love for us and the gift of that love, and then, I guess, secondly, there has to be a response, doesn't there? Before Jesus was crucified, as you well know, he stood before Pontius Pilate. And he was tried before Pilate. And Pilate asked the people on that occasion in verse 22, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And here's what they said, Let him be crucified. And so, down in verse 26, the Bible says that 
Pilate released Barabbas to them, and Barabbas was a common criminal. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And so Jesus scourged. The scourge was a terrible form of Roman punishment. They would literally flay a person when they scourged them. And so Jesus is scourged and then delivered to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. As they came out, they found a man of Serene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head this accusation. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. When you read these passages, it's evident that God in heaven supremely loves the human family. Furthermore, it's evident that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves us immensely. And so, over and over again, we could appeal to passages and talk about the revelation of God's love. But John said, we love him because he first loved us. And so, the idea is that there is to be a reciprocation of love. That just as God has loved us, we are to love him. So what is it that motivates us to love God? I would imagine that there are a number of things that motivate us to love God. You can't really read Matthew chapter 27, the other accounts, Mark, Luke, and John, without recognizing the tremendous love that the Lord has for us. But I guess the question is, how much do we love the Lord? How much do you love the Lord? I think sometimes we talk about commitment and focus and priority in life. And really when we begin to talk about what it means to be a Christian, and when we look at the whole spectrum of Christianity, it's all undergirded by one, by one word, isn't it? It's called love. Because love is that motivating factor. There's a sense in which we are motivated to love God because of His immense love for us. 
So I want to ask you today, how much do you love the Lord? I think sometimes we are reluctant to love the Lord like John talks about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. And maybe there are a number of reasons why we as members of the human family are reluctant to love the Lord. Let, let me just give you a couple of reasons why I think sometimes maybe there is a disconnect when it comes to our love for God because we know God loves us. That is unquestioned. There's no doubt God loves all of us. So the question is, do we love God? And maybe the second question is, how much do we love God? Is it possible that we don't love God like we should because maybe we feel like we have too much baggage. And by that I simply mean, is it possible that in our mind, in our heart of hearts, that what we're saying is, you know what, there's no way God could love me. I mean, after all, you don't understand some of the things that I've done in life. You don't understand some of the things that I've said in life. If you only knew where I have been and what I have done repeatedly, then you'd understand my reluctance to love the Lord. You know, Paul could have made that case. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talked about how he had been a persecutor, a blasphemer, a haughty or insolent man. He was violently arrogant. But he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then he said, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then Paul would go on to say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now listen to him. Of whom I'm chief. Paul, did you have a lot of baggage? Yes, I did. Paul, did you do things in life that you are not proud of? Yes, sir. Paul understood that that baggage that we call sin, that God has the ability to take care of that. Think about the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, when he said, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness. And then he said, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Don't you think Paul took some comfort in knowing that, yes, he had a lot of baggage. He had done a lot of things. Go back and read Acts chapter 26, when he talked about how those who were persecuted and put to death, look, he gave his voice. He consented to their deaths to the deaths of many, many people. When Stephen was put to death, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 7, the Bible says they laid their garments at the feet of a young man by the name of whom? Saul, Saul of Tarsus. So sometimes, maybe it's the case that we are reluctant to love God because of our baggage. Let me give you another possibility is it not the case that sometimes 
we are reluctant to love God because we don't want to be burdened. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by not wanting to be burdened? You ever talk to somebody and they're not married and they have very little to do with the opposite sex and their reasoning is I don't want a commitment. Maybe they're afraid of being hurt. Maybe they're afraid of being let down. Well, let me tell you what. Number one, you don't have to worry. When you, when you become a child of God, God's never going to drop you, so to speak. Sometimes in physical relationships, one party gets tired of the other, and he or she might say, you know what, we're done. That's not how God operates. If we stay true to him, he's always true to us, right? So is it possible that we're afraid to make a commitment? That we're really deep, deep down in our hearts, we're afraid to buy in. Because if we genuinely love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, then that means I'm obligated. Look, I know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. I know what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 20, when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I know that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And he would talk about how Christ is our life. I remember when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And he said, for to me to live is Christ. What are you saying, Paul? What Paul was saying is, for him, Christianity was everything. But why? Galatians 2.20. Because he loved me and gave himself for me. Paul bought into a relationship, didn't he? And so, sometimes maybe we are reluctant to be all that we can be in the kingdom of God because we're afraid of the obligation, the commitment. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus was approached by a lawyer, someone who was skilled in the law of God? And he asked him, what's the great commandment in the law? What did Jesus say? When this man approached him and wanted to know, okay, what's the greatest of all the commandments? What did he say? Did he say, you're to have no other gods before me? Did he say, you're to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise? Did he say, you're not to covet? You're not to commit adultery. You're not to kill. No, here's what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. You know what he was saying? In effect, what he was saying is, when you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, you're not going to have other gods before him. You're not going to take the life of another individual. You're not going to covet their possessions. 
Why? Because you love God supremely. We have a lot of young folks here. How many of you date? How many of you have a significant other? I see the smiles. Did you spend time last night together? If you did, let, let's just say you had the opportunity to spend some time last night. Before you parted ways last night, did one of you say, now, don't tell me I've got to see you again tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, surely not. Is that what you said? Well, why do you want to be together? I mean, why? There's something drawing you together, isn't there? So, think about our worship to God, being in the presence of God. Why, why do we want to be in the presence of God? I know what Hebrews 10.25 says, but why do we want to be in the presence of God? Could I say because we love Him? Because we're grateful for everything that He's done for us? And so out of gratitude, we want to be in the presence of Him who loves us, who sent His Son to die for our sins? Talking to Jared the other day, he might kill me, but I'll say it anyway. And we were talking about when he and Anna were dating. And he said, I would wake up in the middle of the night. And he said, you know what I would do? I would check my phone to see if she had texted me. Now, why do you think he did that? Why do you do that? Because there's a connection, right? You want to hear from your significant other, do you not? Yes. So, think about God for a minute. Do we hear from God? Sure we do. How do we hear from God? We read His Word, don't we? So you think about how much you prize those texts from your significant other. In my day, it was a letter. But you think about it. When, when, look, if I got a letter, do you think I just laid that on the shelf and thought, you know what, I'll read that sometime down the road? I might have I read that thing two or three times. Why? Because I wanted, I wanted to know what Nancy had to say to me. So, the more you read the Word of God, what do you do? You come to appreciate, you come to appreciate, number one, the love God has for you. And you know what that does? It develops greater love on your part for God. You see, the question is valid. How much do we love the Lord? 
I think about all the young parents that we have here today. And quite honestly, I'm not sure that I ever understood unconditional love until I had a child. Let me tell you what, after having a child, I understand, I get it. Unconditional love, you better believe it. Would I die for my child? You know it. That's unconditional love. And we talk about the, the unconditional love that God has for us. But you know, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, John talks about the unconditional love that we're to have for God, doesn't he? That we're willing to sacrifice our own life for his cause. Why? Because we love him. Be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life. I want to ask you a second question very quickly before we close today. And that is, if you were to rate your love for God, how would you rate it? I know sometimes we talk about a numerical scale, but if you were to try to somehow assess your love for God, what would, what would your conclusion be? Do you love Him with all of your heart, soul, and mind? I mean, do you genuinely love Him with every, everything you have? like Jesus talked about? Is it possible that that relationship is maybe not what it ought to be? You know, sometimes we hear couples that are having problems. And they'll say, absence makes the heart grow fonder, don't they? I don't buy that. Because you see, the more time you spend away from one another, then the greater the possibility of that chasm becoming wider and wider. So, in order for couples to be successful, they have to spend time together, don't they? And the longer you spend time together, what happens? You grow in your love for one another, don't you? So, what about your love life? Do you love God with all, with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Are you not where you ought to be? Maybe like the people in Ephesus who had left their first love. It just wasn't that burning, there wasn't that burning fire anymore. I want to ask you another question. If your love is not what it ought to be, then when do you think when do you think you're going to hit the point when your love for God is what it ought to be? Today? Would today be that starting point? Is it possible that based on some internal reflection, you realize, you know what? Maybe it's not what it ought to be. So I'm going to do everything within my power to deepen that relationship. I'm going to 
strive to the best of my ability to begin growing in my love for God. Because after all, I know He loves me. And I want to love Him. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. There's a premium on today. The second possibility is maybe you're thinking tomorrow. You know, sometimes we put off doing today what we ought to do because tomorrow just sounds better. Solomon said many, many years ago, he asked this question, who knows what a day may bring forth? A lot of folks have probably thought in their heart of hearts, you know what, at some point in time, I'm going to buy in, I'm going to get connected, I'm going to start that process of love, and I'm going to begin developing my Christian life, and I want to be everything God wants me to be, but just not today. Is it, possi is it possible that that's where you are today? Remember Felix? When Paul stood before Felix and he reasoned about righteousness and judgment and temperance, and Felix said, go your way. He said, when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. Sometimes people have noble intentions, but they never materialize. Third possibility, truthfully. Truthfully, in my heart of hearts, is it possible that I'll never love him like I'm supposed to? Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 5 when he talked to the Jewish leaders of his day, the Jewish people of his day? And they were so adversarial and ad antagonistic toward him and his teaching. And Jesus said, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And he said, these are they that testify of me. But then he said this. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. They had the evidence, didn't they? They had everything they needed to draw the conclusion that, look, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. We're in the presence of deity. But they just wouldn't buy in. So today my plea to you is... Buy in. I promise you, there will never be anyone who loves you like the Lord. No one here on planet Earth has the ability, the capacity to love you like the Lord does. So, if He loves you, and He does, the compelling question of the hour, do you love Him? Do you love Him like he loves you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would hope and pray that you understand Jesus was lifted up for you. And the Bible says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, 4. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, 24, repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3, confess his name before others, and are immersed in water, the Bible tells us you can be forgiven, Acts 2.38. And God will put you in the church, Acts 2.47. If you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here, and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, maybe your love's not what it ought to be, 
and you're thinking right now, I get it, and I want to do something about it, you can. Luke, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.